From the Multiply family of churches, we are Behind Open Doors, a podcast designed to take you behind the scenes, discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. We're located in the U.S., Hampton Roads region of Virginia. Visit us at multiplythechurch.com. Well, everyone, my name is Aaron Denini, Executive Director of the Multiply Family of Churches, and I'm joined today by our Director of Missions, Mr. John Slinker. Yep. And we are super excited to be back in the saddle for, like, part two, season one, essentially. We took an elongated pause um, yeah. through the summer and uh, just uh, had some break. And, um, man, we've got some really great content to round out the year here, and we are excited for the conversations that are in the works. That's right. That's right. By the way, I love how you timed out the intro and you started right on beat. It was perfect. Great job. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was good. Yeah. And it rolls out like you've literally timed this out. I don't know if that was super intentional or if it just worked out like that, but you just, <laughs> you know, it just happens. Yeah, it just happens. It's just man. how we yeah. do. Yeah, it is. You know? It is. Yeah, I don't. That's just uh, all I know to do, man. Is yeah. To be, I'm a musician, so I gotta like things gotta be on lock and on beat for me. That's right. That's goes. right. No, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> you started. I heard the snare. It was perfect. Okay. Um, by, by the, the way, way. <laughs> twice. <laughs> yep. All right. You by say. By the way. By the way. Okay. Um, yeah, you were the one that recorded that music. Well, I'm going to remind the people that um, mm. we have custom bumper music thanks mm. to Sir John Slinker. So. <laughs> so before we go any further, here's a quick reminder that the podcast is written, produced, and distributed all in the Multiply family. Your giving to the Multiply Project makes this possible. And my wife and I were recipients of that just recently as y'all sent us to go take care of some family uh, of the Multiply churches. And um, that was a huge blessing. Um, this podcast, getting to have this information and share it and equip others. Uh, we're so grateful for the support structure that exists in our family of churches here. So from disciple making and leadership resources to some walking alongside while planting and pastoring, the Multiply family of churches is there. Uh, whether you're a member of one of our churches, a prospective intern or resident or a pastor, we want to help you multiply the gospel where you are. And you can give to the Multiply Project by making a pledge with us or by one-time donation at multiplythechurch.com, that homepage, that landing page there on our beautiful website. Pray, Praise God for a great start to a fresh season of multiplying the church. Well, uh, we are going to do a few episodes here once again to kind of round out the year. And um, in these episodes, we're going to do essentially a season of sit-downs. Um, we're going to have some time with uh, interviews with different people, and um, those folks will be revealed along the way. Some yeah. are set up, some are not. And uh, But either way, we're excited about what um, what this is going to bring. Just a, a little bit different, um, uh, you know, template of what we're trying to do here at the bod pod that's right behind Just open doors somehow podcast somehow yeah it became the bod pod <laughs> yeah 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 um <laughs> we gotta be careful with that but either way it's gonna be fun and we do have uh we have a couple of bonus episodes coming up too um one of them i'll kind of tease a bit um there is there is a an event that our family of churches does at two of our churches that happens in December hmm. that centers around Christmas. And it's something about um, uh, helping people 
uh, provide Christmas for their families. And it's reaching its 10-year mark this year. And uh, we're super excited about that. We'll uh, reveal a little bit more of what that's about mm. um, in the coming mm. episodes. But mm. we're excited to yeah. uh, well, celebrate that. You know, first of all, I don't think you left much to really be. Hey, there's people that listen to this that don't know hey, what we do so in December. You're, I guess so. You're right. You're very right. But also, secondly, then, uh, the, the Lord is not the author of confusion, Aaron. So <laughs> I'm not, I don't know if people appreciate you. It's uh, also wise to withhold it, a matter, right? Progressive revelation. <laughs> right. Noted. Right. <laughs> very well. So, yeah, let's get it started. Um, our right. first sit down behind Open Doors is um, with a certain gentleman um, that I've had the pleasure to know for about 10 years. And um, he also just celebrated 10 years pastoring as the senior pastor at OV Church. You know him. He comes from Warren General Hospital, born in 1981. Uh, He moved shortly after to go to North Carolina for a few years. Uh, with his family through elementary school, some in middle school, and then back to Pennsylvania, where he graduated from Youngsville High School, uh, downtown Youngsville. It's about 1,700 population, and he played basketball. He played football. He worked at the local golf course. He built vintage cars with his mechanic father. He had a mother who was relentlessly for him. He had siblings, and uh, he went to Old Dominion University, got his business finance degree, became youth pastor at Ocean View Baptist Church, and then he went, got his MDiv from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, became senior pastor at that time, and just celebrated the 10 years there. All of that... And uh, yeah, he's, we, we haven't even touched on the fact that he's a husband or a father of five. Uh, so man, I feel like I know so much about you, but yet uh, I feel like there's so much more left to be told. So with that said, he's a friend, husband, father, brother. He's the director of the Multiply, or the, the executive director of the Multiply Family of Churches and the senior pastor of OV, our leader, Aaron Owen Denny. Thanks, man. <laughs> so, what's up, people? No, that that means a lot, man. I appreciate the uh, the shoutouts, and uh, maybe we'll fill in some gaps here. But that was uh, that was really well done. Good job. Well, tell Is us that on my Wikipedia page. That I <laughs> I feel like. Uh, Can we build that, Robbie? Can we build a Wikipedia page? Okay. I did Google you this morning. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. Um, but no Wikipedia pages. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. Catch them, um, the Multiply Family of Churches, OV Church. Um, brother, um, we met on the way to India, and that was back in 2012. Um, but you had lived um, a whole lifetime almost by then. Uh, you already had kids. Um, you were transitioning into becoming a senior pastor at that time. Um, tell me, though, a little bit more about your childhood. Where did you come from? How did you end up at Southeastern Baptist? And um, yeah, that's when we met. And then, uh, so start there, and then we'll we'll catch up. Yeah, uh, man. Um, so I like to tell people that um, 
I was almost literally born in the church um, because uh, I was born December 5th and I was baby Jesus on Christmas Eve. That's right. Um, so, okay. uh, you know, I've been in church all my life. Uh, my, my parents are, uh, are amazing, um, godly people. Of course, they were young then and they, they grew in their understanding. I'm the first of five in my own uh, family as well. And so, um, so being the firstborn, you know, I was I always felt like I was kind of carving the way, you know, mm. I had the always had the machete in hand, you mm. know, and uh, and um, <clears throat> so growing up, uh, I don't obviously remember Pennsylvania the first time around. I was very young, but I do remember North Carolina. I remember it very dearly and clearly because um, I think is what really shaped and molded me, and honestly, is why I'm, I came back to the South is because mm. of my formative years in Carolina. Um, between, uh, I don't know, four and 11 years old. Um, I always kind of longed to be back in the South. And when I went back up to PA, um, it was weird because all the kids that I was playing backyard football with and everything, they just had a, a different kind of relationship because they had been they had been known each other for, for a very mm. long time. So I always felt a little bit like an outcast. Um, mm. uh, and plus I was a Christian and not many of them were devout uh, Christians and by devout, I literally mean just going to church every week. Um, in the small town in, in northwestern PA, like that was really just the kind of the the religious lifestyle. You know, if you were a Christian, you went to church, um, and it was kind of a cultural kind of thing. You know, um, some of my friends did did actually go to church, but they weren't as committed. Um, I remember the point at which. Uh, my parents kind of, they didn't really say you can no longer listen to uh, what was for me Led Zeppelin and the Beach Boys and like all this kind of uh, uh, prog rock that my dad used to listen to all the time um, that I love, love and still uh, still do love, loved then. Um, and at one point they never said you cannot listen to this music anymore, but they started to introduce new music. They, uh, they knew even back then that you change culture by creating culture. Mm. And, uh, in our family, it was, Hey, that's, uh, that's really great music, but have you heard Whiteheart? Have you heard Petra? Have you heard, <laughs> and then enter the next Christian band uh, that would come in for my brother. It was like DC talk and more of the, um, you know, the more the R and B and hip hop style. Mine was oh. more rock and roll style. And I, I remember that very vividly because um, it was like, oh, yeah, this stuff's kind of cool, you know. Um, and and that began the shift. But what that did socially is it put, at least I felt like I was kind of put in this Christian box. And so I got made fun of a lot for the music that I listened to. Um, and it built some thick skin for me, you know, because um, it, it did hurt, but I'm, I made it look like I didn't care. When you know you're, I mean? yeah, when you're talking about that, when you go back and you see yourself in the classroom, in school, or maybe on the bus or wherever, walking in the house after school, how old are you when you, when you think of these times? Um, what grade are you in? Yeah, probably 11, yeah, 10, 11, 12. So, uh, yeah, fifth, sixth yeah. grade, something like that. Yep. Um, a little bit fourth, because I, I think it was, yeah, fourth grade was a definitely a coming of age year for me as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I think the uh, around 11 or so. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, people didn't like push me around and shove me in lockers or anything like that. It wasn't like that. But it was just that the little stuff, you know, the little comments. Um, oh, he's a little Christian boy. He doesn't mm -hmm. do anything wrong. You mm -hmm. know, like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, that 
it just, you know, just, you just feel kind of, uh, small sure. when people treat you that way, you know? Yeah. And so it yeah. wasn't any different for me. Um, you know, and so by the time, um, middle school rolls around, I start to feel like, uh, you know, I don't really, I don't really care about this whole Christian thing anymore. I'm sick of being made fun of and I'm really good at sports and better than all these other kids. So I had at that point, like earned their respect because I was better than most of them in, in the sport that they played. Mm. Um, so I didn't really get made fun of in the, that sense anymore. Um, now I just wanted to full on fit in, you know? And so by ninth grade, um, I, uh, I, I bought my first Nas CD, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and started listening to hip hop and things kind of went haywire for the next several years in high school. As far as spiritual direction went, I was made to go to church and, um, and that was my life, you know, just kind of doing what you did culturally to make the parents happy. Um, but living the kind of living a different life really, um, throughout the week. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I would not say that I lost my faith. Like I never stopped believing in Jesus. I just was, I stopped submitting to him as mm-hmm. Lord and, um, ran away and did my own rebel thing for a while. Um, probably into the first couple of years of college, first yeah, year, year and a half of college. Yeah. So as we trace that arc, um, fifth grade, you know, you grew up, um, for all intents and purposes, super, just wonderful parents, uh, Christian home, always in church, getting made fun of, uh, for your faith. You take on more of a, of a, uh, you care way more about your social, uh, status, um, like most of us towards middle school, high school. And then as you trace the arc through college, um, what's your, what's your walk with the Lord like at that time? Um, and, and what are you doing? How did you get to ODU and, uh, yeah. Why business? Yeah. So, um, by the way, in high school, my parents had twin girls when I was 16 years old. Mm. I was dating my then girlfriend, now wife at the time. Okay. So I got to a whole lot of attention was pulled away from me and my brother and put on the younger kids. Uh And so I was, I was just kind of on my own, you know, and I wasn't, but I, I could be if I wanted to, you know? So I know that they knew a lot of what I was doing and what was going on, but I didn't really care. And, um, to me at the time, it didn't seem like they cared a whole lot. So I was just going to do my own thing. Mm. Um, and so that kind of fed into my rebellion a little bit. So when I went to school, went to college, um, well, it ended up being business. It was engineering at first because engineering is where you make a bunch of money. Right. Um, but I forgot that or I didn't know at the time that in engineering, you got to know a lot of math. And, um, so I've also heard lately, uh, since then that, um, engineering is basically pre-business, right? So guys that can't hack it in the math world of engineering uh, end up doing business, and so <laughs> that's what I did. Pretty much, um, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So the first uh, couple years, our first year and a half of, or first year of, of school, really, um, I essentially partied my way out. Um, couldn't hack it academically because um, I didn't care and I didn't want to, and so um, I just uh, got academic probation, uh, kicked out of school and now I'm on my own. Um, you know, kind of set off on my own by my parents as well. Like, Hey, 
you've done enough. You've taken a bunch of our money, and so you're you can go do this on your own now. And <laughs> right. So, so I did. Um, Good job, yeah. parents. <laughs> yeah, way to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, it was definitely uh, good for me. Paid my own rent, paid my own bills uh, as best I could. Uh, when I would go home to visit, they'd send me home with food. <laughs> and, yep. Uh, yep. Uh, and my grandma always slipped me, um, you know, fifty bucks here and there. Um, she she had an unfailing love. Um, mm. My dear grandmother, I loved her so much. Mm. Um, but yeah, so uh, went to community college to get my stuff back in order. And at the same time, um, I had done enough rebelling. This has been now, uh, I don't know, a year and a half into me being in Virginia. Um, came back down south because that's what I kind of always longed for. I, I, in my mind, I wouldn't have said this at the time, but in my mind it was like, well, I love the south. I'm just going to keep going back. I'm going to go back down south where I was more. Uh, it was always that kind of... Um, utopia land for me, you know, mm-hmm. it was a place where everything was better. Um, so came back down South. I wanted to be in a city. Um, Wilmington was still, still is kind of pretty small, you know? And so I came here, um, sitting on the steps of web center at, uh, ODU. And I remember feeling like this is where I'm supposed to be. Even though I was far from God, I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And, um, and I was, I was excited about that. Um, and but I had no idea, like I had no spiritual motivations towards that. Um, I can look back now and say I kind of know why, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of things have happened um, in the last 22 years since sure. then. So, um, yeah, so I uh, just, just felt like this is where I was supposed to be. So, again, like I said, kind of partied my way out of school and went back TCC um, at the same time I went back to TCC, started to get my life back in order. Um, I, uh, Katie's, my wife's um, parents got divorced, grandfather passed away, and she just needed a respite, get away from life up in PA as well. Uh, we had kind of split up for a bit. She came down here. I convinced her to stay and marry me <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in 2003. So um, I had already been, we had, I'd already been living with a friend outside of the um, frat life, you know, and so, um, so Katie comes down, kind of go away from friends and and go towards her and we start to build our own friend group here. Um, and, uh, switched majors to business cause it was easier. And, uh, and I did, I really, I do, I did enjoy the idea of business at the time. Um, and it was just kind of a general it was more, business for me was a general studies mm-hmm. kind of thing, yep. you know, so it was, uh, it was easy. Um, and I did business finance once I finally went to ODU. Um, I just, I, the other options were insurance or real estate, and I didn't want to do those, so, uh, or management. And uh, management to me was like, I was not going to see myself, no offense here to anybody listening, but I wasn't going to see myself at like an, you know, office max managing a retail store or something like that. <laughs> like, mm. to me, that's what business management kind of was, mm. was like, D- managing some operations big of some box. corporate yep. big box thing. And I was not going to do that. I sure. knew that already. Um, I start to feel the tug. Um, and, uh, around this time. So, uh, I get married, um, fall of, uh, August of Oh three. And this is where God's really starting to mess with me. Right. And start to really tug on my life. And, uh, so I wrote down three words and I put them on the wall and one was, uh, uh, it was business, politics, and church leadership. 
And I just knew that I was passionate about these things. And I didn't know where that was going to go. Um, so I wrote those three words on a piece of paper and then a bunch of words surrounding them that kind of um, informed each of them. And, uh, and they were kind of a not even concentric circles. It was really like a Venn diagram of sorts, like where all these things come together and collide is where I want to be. Right. And, um, this was strictly speaking professional. And so I started to uh, work through that and, um, just kept it on the wall for a long time. Um, took me a while to finish up school because I was going to school part-time working part-time. Um, and, uh, so it's kind of took the long route getting through school and, uh, uh, so very, it's more traditional now, I think, to do that, but it yep. wasn't back then, um, uh, and got married in that time. By the time I graduated at ODU, we had two, no, we were going on two kids. We had one, we were going on two, um, and uh, I had uh, accepted the call to youth ministry at Ocean View Baptist Church, um, really felt like that's the start of where those things, that call collided for me and um, was excited to be at the church that I um, came back to Jesus in. Um, when we came to the church, we connected with a group of dear friends that are still friends to this day um, and, uh, and really started to experience community, real community. And, um, and when I did that, uh, when we did that, it was, um, you know, this kind of new family developed and, uh, and I, and it really changed my life. And so, um, you know, kind of looking fast forward to where I'm at right now, looking back at all that is like, that's, that was really formative for me. And it's really a found foundational for how and why we do things the way we do now as well. Yeah. Because when people come in that are searching, I want them to find community, right? One, uh, something that really resonated resonates with me is that uh, Jesus called his disciples to follow him and then they believed, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and I believe that following him was being invited into community and then they believed in him mm -hmm. because they saw who he truly was, yeah. you know? So I think that's true for people in the church today as well. They need to be brought into genuine community first. And then the odds are pretty good if they stay in good community, biblical community, that they will believe um, mm -hmm. after that. Yeah. So tell us about a barbecue grill and why Ocean View Baptist Church. <laughs> yeah. So I had a, um, a, a little grill that my parents had that he that dad brought down when he brought Katie down actually mm. for that visit um they brought this grill with him and um it was <laughs> it was one that you had to light from underneath and when you did it like essentially blew up you know <laughs> and uh and finally lit the things and I didn't have any idea what I was doing I put coals in it at one point it was a disaster Dude, so yeah, '90s the, '90s was great. Yeah, great decade. Yeah. So um, my friends that I had now been in community with um, saw all this, and for our um, they it was before our wedding even, and they came and they gave us a new grill. Mm -hmm. It was probably a hundred dollar grill, you know, but like that gesture of my friends, uh, our friends loving us like that, mm -hmm. um, enough to buy us a brand new grill, um, it blew my mind. Like yeah. I was like, 
my parents are supposed to do this, you know, not, not friends, you know? And so some of it was just a transition into adulthood, you know, and just, uh, having your own people that can actually afford things. And some of it was <laughs> like truly being away from my family and they knew it and they adopted us into their families. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, feeling that genuine community. So, um, that exercise of love, um, was something that I'll, I'll never forget, but I also, um, a lot of things that I do and have set things up for are based around that genuine act of kindness and, and love towards uh, a fellow believer is, mm-hmm. is um, making sure that people are cared for in those kind of ways, you know? Yeah. Amen. That's good. We've, we've, we need to roll the tape back just a bit. Um, we've made some good progress, but going back, how did you get to Southeastern? Why did why Southeastern? Why an MDiv? You were a youth pastor, um, but even before that, like, how did how did you come back to um, following Jesus even before you met some of that community? Or was that or, or was the community the main instigator? Um, I also remember some some sermons and some other guys you used to listen to. Yeah, um, so really, it was a, a buddy I was living with worked with a guy. Um, he, he went by the name of JC. Okay. No joke. Right. <laughs> like his name was JC. Uh-huh. Uh, JC, um, and he started to connect and, um, they, JC was telling him some stuff about like the Bible revelation, you know, all these kinds of things. And so we would get together and we would look at the, uh, the book of revelation and just kind of be like, wow, this is kind of, this is cool stuff. Right. Mm. And, um, it was, it's terrible discipleship. <laughs> um, but what the Lord did was he used that those conversations and me actually physically opening up my Bible that I hadn't opened mm. in years um, to bring me back into the Word. Because um, having grown up in church, um, I knew my way around the Scriptures, but I didn't necessarily know the Scriptures, you know. And so um, to start to read the Gospels and spend time with Jesus, I began to be really convicted of my sin and my living situation, just where I was at in life. And, you know, so hightailed it out of ODU and up to Ocean View area and uh, here in Norfolk. And, um, and that was, that was a moment for sure. That was an Oikos kind of moment or a, Kairos. Kairos moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of an Anoikos moment. Anoikos. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but Kairos kind of moment where it was like, wow, this is this is a thing, right? Um, and then from there, like going into community, that was the Oikos part, right? Was was a big deal. So those those big um, uh, big marking points for me is what set me on this journey of that, of coming back to Christ. So for me, it was literally reading the scriptures. And then I got a delivery driving job and I would drive around and listen to um, awesome Bible teaching all day long. Yeah. So R.C. Yeah. Sproul at the time, John MacArthur, um, Chuck Swindoll, David Jeremiah, you know, all these guys that are just big radio guys. Right. Right. Um, and some local dudes, too. And so and it was just like I get to drive around and listen to this stuff all day. And, and then but especially R.C. Sproul, he was a huge one for me. And he was like what I would have described then as he was, he's just deep, right? What I now know that to be is that he was like, he was really exposing the gospel in, um, in the form of this kind of like 
scripture alone, Christ alone, uh, grace alone, you know, um, mm. in the, the more orthodox kind of reformed tradition of the faith that I was really intrigued by. Um, and, uh, and it really, it was rich to me mm. and I wanted that. I wanted to be able to do that. First of all, I wanted to be able to teach that way. Um, I want to be able to understand these things that way. And so I just soaked it up, read all of his stuff that I could. Mm. Um, I have a giant notebook on holiness of God. I wish I, I don't know where it is right at this moment, but, um, read holiness of God and took notes on each chapter along the way. And it, and it like filled this entire notebook. It was, um, it it was, it was a major, major, um, influence on, Mm. on my life. And so, uh, that is what kind of led towards, I'm not, I'm kind of an all in, kind of guy on things. I, I can't do things halfway or I can't just be satisfied with, you know, good enough. Like I always, I'm trying to do outdo myself and, and, and strive for more. And so like, if I'm going to go all in on this faith, then I feel like I need to be in it somehow, like day to day, every day, I got to be doing this thing. Um, and that's so, how, that's how I equate my calling was really like, because I was diving into the faith so, so much. Um, I was like, I, I have to do this. Like, this is what I got to do with my life. And that was really how God called me into ministry. So I wrapped up, I didn't ditch the four year degree. I thought I was, I feel like there was some wisdom there. I don't even know if anybody told me or anything, but I just remember like I've gotten this far to get done with my finance degree. I just needed to finish it, you know, and be, right. be done with it. And so, um, now I'm really glad that I did, but that was, uh, that was the kind of the call into ministry. And then, um, I graduated ODU with finance and then I think I took a year and then went to, uh, Southeastern mostly cause it was close. Um, it was it more aligned with me theologically. Um, and, uh, I didn't have to do distance learning as much as I thought I was going to have to. I traveled there three hours there, three mm-hmm. hours back, um, which allowed for a lot of thinking and reflection, um, which was really good. Uh, that was um, those three, just over three years of going to Southeastern were formative for me. Yeah. Um, and some good relationships came out of that. Yeah. Uh, one, of course, being you, my friend. Well, <laughs> I would say best, but that's, you know, fine. Subjective, <laughs> I suppose. Um, so, man, that's um, super encouraging that you know, before you became a, I guess, um, quote unquote, um, professional student of the word, you were just a student of the word. And um, you, you, uh, the Holy Spirit gave you uh, an appetite for it. Yeah. And um, not just an appetite to learn, but an appetite to learn so that you could teach it. Yeah. And uh, following the example of the others that have taught well, who have handled the scriptures well um, and and led others well. Um, yeah, that desire has been there uh, for a long time. And I love it. I see it in you still. Um, so tell us about your calling and purpose today. Uh, you just celebrated 10 years as the senior pastor yeah. at OB Church, and you're also the executive director for Multiply and uh, you've got another role for uh, church planting, kind of, um, how, w- how would you explain uh, times 12? 
Yeah, uh, I am the uh, the Hamden Roads hub director there for Times 12, and so that just means that I kind of galvanize the planters for Times yeah. 12 network here, coaching, assessments, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so there's there's a little bit of um, uh, there there's a good relationship between uh, our people and Times 12, and we're both trying to accomplish the same purposes, yeah. and and we're just continuing to strive together and co labor and. Uh, share networks and whatnot. So, um, yeah, you have been senior pastor, most notably for 10 years now. How's that? How's the last 10 years been? <laughs> uh, man, so for those who may not know, I was also, I was a part of the church working in youth ministry. And from uh, 05 to fall of 12, I was in, I was the youth pastor at the same church. In October of 12, I became the senior pastor. And so um, I'll just say the those growing years in ministry, of in youth ministry specifically, um, were very helpful and very formative. Um, uh, seminary was huge in that as well. Not everybody needs seminary, um, but I was the only one in our group of people um, here at OV that had gone to or was going to seminary at the time. And so um, I came back teaching, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just uh, regurgitating everything I knew. In fact, I would set up series in youth ministry, and Robbie was there for some of this, where uh, the teaching of whatever I was doing on a Wednesday night correlated to what I was learning in class <laughs> at, at school. And so whether it was missions or whether it was Old Testament, New Testament, I was just learning and dumping, learning and dumping. And um, I that was huge for me because it was allowing me to teach that which I had just learned. And, and when you're able to teach what you're learning, um, it accelerates your learning process in a unique way. And so, um, so to have that ability was just, uh, just amazing. You know, you get a lot of guys that tell you, if you go to seminary, you just got to be there for three years, four years, do your thing there. That's what you need to be focused on. I absolutely wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um, I really think that you've got to be in some sort of ministry while you're doing seminary, um, I think that that is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I just, uh, I, I really, I really relished in that. And um, and so, the last ten years have been um, the hardest parts have been all the things that you don't learn at seminary. The mm. easiest and fun parts are getting up and teaching on a Sunday or sermon prep, you know? Yeah. Um, I, Those I did, are controllable yeah, exactly. for the most part. Exactly. I did missiology, and so I took almost zero pastoral classes, mm. um, zero preaching classes, Um I, those are the kind of things that I just figured I was learning along the way. And I did missiology. I wanted to learn about culture and missions and reaching the world for Christ, you know, that kind of thing. That's the huge emphasis of Southeastern anyway. And so when I came back um, teaching and, and uh, giving these, uh, regurgitating those things essentially to OV, um, it was, uh, it was a, uh, th- those things were formative for our people. They helped us see that the gospel goes beyond our little community here in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, really shaped the culture of mission for our church, and 
It helped us think globally very quickly. You and I went to India really at the end of my seminary time. And uh, in the summer of 12, we met a guy there named Danny Abraham, who we still have a partner with today, um, which is amazing. Um, But that trip really shaped my view of, of the church locally being a part of the church globally in a strategic way that helps ongoing church planting over there and here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big deal. Yeah. How did, um, how did the church respond to that transition or that maybe was that much of a new idea or thought or practice in the church at that time? Or did you have to introduce that? Um, and how did they receive it? Well, I think that I was in a Baptist, I still am in a Baptist church, a Southern Baptist church at that. And Baptists have always been about missions. Mm -hmm. Um, so especially the older folks understood this. Um, so it went beyond just giving to, sorry, I mean, I love these offerings. They're great and they're helpful and useful, but it went beyond giving to Annie Armstrong or giving to Lottie Moon at Christmas and Easter. Um, and it went to like, giving to this person who has uh, who a year later visited our church who is doing church planting who has statistics and numbers to show how church planting is growing and now by 2014 we're sending a team over there to um, learn from him and encourage and support him and we have this this connection this partnership um, there was no longer this Danny. kind of yeah Danny yeah. so there's no longer this vague give to missions it's now I put a face to missions yep. and the people I think really loved that because it it put really put action to what has been uh, a lot of talk mm. o- over the over a lot of time, and mm. I think um, uh, younger people um, maybe just being exposed to that for the first time that was a big deal. And then the older people were like, "Well, yeah, we've been talking about missions forever, and now we got right. people that are actually traveling and doing these things. This is really yep. cool." So, yep. and um, you even took some teams over there. Um, that were not necessarily even leaders from the church, but people who just had a heart. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Later on we did that in 15, 16. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I I think Southern Baptists have always been, always been a missionary loving people. And so that part of it was kind of easy. Um, The hardest I think is getting folks to do that at home. Right. That's the rub and that's the difficulty because it's it's easy to give money and do that over there. It's easy to send mission teams and have a few select people doing that over there, um, ultimately, because people will champion that, support that and mm-hmm. give to that. Um, but then we started we, we started asking the question kind of at the same time that, yes, that. But what are you doing with your neighbors? Yeah. You know, how are you reaching your own Oikos, your own people that are close to you at the grocery stores and the checkout lines and the um, the neighborhood block parties and the, yep. you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Well, I mean, perfect timing. In a couple of weeks is Halloween. Yeah. And um, you implemented something for the church that helped us realize, um, hey, how can we be for our neighborhoods and for our neighbors? As our brother says, um, you know, the one time a year that the neighborhood yeah. comes and knocks on our door. Yeah, that that was a that was a um, a hard shift to make because we had been doing a, a by all outward appearances very successful 
fall festival on the church grounds. We are in a, in a neighborhood. So five, 600 people are coming through every single Halloween night and it's a huge event, mm-hmm. you know, and it was mini really, state fair. Yeah it, was, yeah. it was great. And we did these giveaways and this cool stuff. We had a concert in the, in the last one we ever did. Nice. And, uh, and it would have been 14 fall of 14 when we, after we did our building project. And so, um, <laughs> But I started to really, uh, yeah, I was convicted by one of our mentoring professors uh, that would say, you know, church is doing fall festival is great, but like you just said, the one time a year that your neighbors come to your home, you're not there. Hmm. And so I could look back in 2012 or, or so, and I could look back in the previous 10 years at my home and I had not been home any of those 10 years uh, on Halloween night. And I, I, you just, you know, you put a bowl out there, hey, happy Halloween, but yet you're not actually engaging yeah. with people. And so we, we shut down the big event, the fall festival, and we distributed into homes. And, um, and as far as we can count, it's hard to count this, but as far as we can count, we tripled the impact from 500 people or so in, in the parking lot and in the, on the grounds to now about 1500 or, or so people being reached in these different kind of neighborhood parties, um, that were happening Halloween. I think it's a good flip. What problem has God called you to solve or tackle? Um, or what goal do you feel God has called you to achieve? I heard you say three words earlier that you wrote down on a sheet of paper, business, politics, and leadership. Um, where does God have your heart right now? Is there something you're focusing on that's a specific problem you're trying to solve or a specific goal you're trying to achieve? Man, that's a really, really good question. Because um, I think it, I don't know that it changes over the years, but it, it, it molds and it, it, it morphs over the years. Mm-hmm. So the original problem I wanted to solve was how do I get people on mission? how do I get people to make disciples? And, um, and I learned that if you get people to make disciples, they will be on mission. Um, now you have to be intentional about all that. Right. And that was really my call. And I said that the other day at at our 10 year celebration, that all I know to do is to make disciples that are go on mission. And that's going to, um, turn into church planting with the right leadership in place, right? That's all. That's really all I know to do. I came in with a napkin 10 years ago telling the pastor search team that this was my strategy, and it turned in, and that this is what I know. Um, so I'm just going to keep doing that. So problem to solve is really constant and ongoing, that people forget that they need to make disciples, and I'm going to be the one to remind them, um, ultimately. But, but now that it's like the church part of it, the like just doing, just focusing on the church. I don't want to, I don't want to sound too um, boastful or, or, or I don't know about this, but the, the church part of it feels kind of easy to me. And I don't mean that I'm doing it well and doing everything perfect and right, but I feel like, like focusing on one church, I understand especially in a transient culture is just going to take time. Like, and then you're going to lose a bunch of people and you're going to have to continue the same, um, process and, and 
training progress again. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's cyclical, it happens, and that's mm-hmm. just the life of the local church. Yeah. I've accepted that, I understand that, and I'm in with that. But now I'm like, so if that's the case for one church, how can we expand this now into multiple geographical spaces in a region and keep these things connected um, in a way where we pool and share resources? Um, and that's really how Multiply was born is by out of that kind of what does that look like? It looks like we need a group of central employees that are helping to tie together resources pushing them out into the local churches Mm -hmm. so that those local churches can do ministry and mission. Um, So the problem I think now is continuing to um, recruit and scale into a a good-sized multi-church organization Um, because we've not really seen this done before um, beyond just a few churches. You know, and now we're saying... You know, by 2030, we want to be a family of 40 churches. Well, I've not seen 40 churches that are as connected as we see these churches being connected, mm. um, and that's a, that to me is is the big problem and the big challenge over the next eight plus years that need to be that needs to be, if not solved, at least um, headed towards solution. Sure, you know, and so yeah. the boring stuff is uh, um, pathways and tools to help people grow and make disciples things that like for pioneers are, are just repeatable yep. and yep. and and like how do i make disciples uh well i could hand you a piece of paper and say read this and you'll know how to make disciples or and or i could walk alongside you and show you how to do it uh, but for me it's like i need to be able to train leaders to train people to make disciples mm-hmm. um yeah so in, at its core so after about eight years um, as senior pastor at OV, you felt a call, um, and we made some trips to some different places, met some, uh, other people, some other leaders, figuring out how other people do some of this stuff, uh, church planting multiply came out of that. And, um, I think why you might say it became easy and easier is because you invested 10 years. And, yeah, uh, you, sure. you know, you're reaping what you sowed. Yeah. And so if anything, I don't think it's arrogant. I think it's um, just a principle of, of good, hard labor, loving people, um, expanding uh, the community and healthy things grow. Yeah. And the way that that has uh, grown and flourished out of OV is multiply and two other, three other churches now um, that are already pregnant in some senses, uh, that are ready to birth other churches. Mm -hmm. And so, man, um, just appreciate your leadership. Um, your, your goal, um, that you feel God has called you to achieve, um, or us as a community, that's a shared goal I hear in your heart, um, is 40 churches by 2030 that have legitimate, authentic community that care for one another and that are multiplying disciple making disciples. Yeah. Um, what, what does that look like? Um, what resources, um, you said tools, you're a pioneer, you're, you're an apostle, uh, heart. And, um, you, like you said earlier, as a older brother, the firstborn machete in hand, (laughs) you're clearing the path, right? Making way and showing others how to do it. 
Um, so what do you, what energizes you, first of all, about that process? You said the tools were boring. Uh, some of the, and not, and not that they're just, you know, that's a broad statement, obviously the, uh, the processes, the pathways, all that stuff that we have to focus on right now, the administrative stuff, we don't, you know, we, we're not gifted in that area. We're gifted in other areas. So, uh, what's most energizing to you about this whole thing? Well, it's, it's, uh, that's actually kind of funny that, um, I was, I would say that, yeah, that is not my initial bend my default gifting but it's what i've come to actually love and appreciate um is solidifying these processes mm. and and writing things out like um <laughs> right now it's a, it's a weird um game that i have to play more mentally than anything else it's like what what i get most satisfaction out of is sitting at my computer and writing all day yeah um about whatever it could be, you know, this process, it could be a narrative about how this ought to be done. It could be, um, you know, a strategy for that's, that ends up being a drawing, you know, from a whiteboard for this next thing that needs to be worked on. Um, those are the things that I get the most satisfaction out of now that I would have fell asleep on, you know, um, a couple years ago. Um, now, your, your question though was what gives me the most energy. That was part of your question. Mm -hmm. That drains me too. Yeah. Like I go home those nights, um, like a, a lump, like I'm worthless. But it's a different life. sense of accomplishment, <laughs> isn't it? It's it is. like that yeah. kind of stuff is like still taking out the trash, doing the dishes, yeah. you know, all, all the things we don't necessarily want to do, but when the house is perfect and clean and all that vision is out of our head and on paper and ready to be communicated well and effectively to the community, man, that, that feels good. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And so right, right now, that's my answer. Um, yep. Yep. you know, I'd like to say I've been consistent all these years and this is what it's been all this. That's not true. Like it, it changes, it yeah. changes. So right now that's where I get the most satisfaction. The most joy is by really it's, I think in the end, what, what, um, to add my future thinking to this, <laughs> it's, it gives me great joy and satisfaction because I know now it's out of my head and somebody else can use it, mm. you know, and, um, and somebody else can be equipped, um, along those same lines and mm -hmm. I can teach it to somebody else very quickly and then hand them something to remind them of what I've said rather than, uh, what did he say about, um, you know, going, making disciples that, uh, that multiply, like how do we, where's the starting point for that? You know, and I can literally point to something that we've created and say, here's the reminder, you know, yep. um, and it now it's solidified, it's reproducible at that point. Yeah, that's good. So based on your missions, philosophy, strategy of multiply, uh, discipleship, what's a passage that has really shaped your convictions for that? Uh, passage. I mean, the, obviously all the, or leadership. Yeah. All the classic great commission, text, you know, um, obviously that I'm a, you know, if, if this is our call, um, and, and Jesus laid this call on us and he said that he was going to be there with us, um, uh, to make disciples of all nations and to do so Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And then, um, 
really the book of Acts is is beautiful to me, the way that begins to work out. And then it kind of ends with this like, um, well, what's going to happen next? And the answer is us. Like we happen next, right? Um, the the excitement that comes into that is um, is really beautiful. Um, and I love that. Um, I think one of the... Uh, yeah, I guess one of the challenges in that too, though, is, you know, um, you look at all the work that Paul did to write out <laughs> the um, the theology and practice to all the churches um, kind of as he was ministering or as he was in prison or whatever and writing out everything that he had taught them already and then reminding them, to come back to these basic principles, whether it was Ephesus or Rome or whatever, um, he's he was in that phase of his ministry later on in life, um, again, from prison a lot of times, where um, he was able to craft a vision for people that could be carried on because it was now codified. And I'm I'm not saying that my ministry is over at all. Um, but I am saying I'm seeing this transition where I've got a foot in both ponds, as it were, where I've I've done a lot of work on the ground to help a church grow and multiply. And now I've got to get in this space where I'm helping um, leaders be um, have the tools and resources they need to do the same. Hmm. Um, and that's really it's a weird place to be kind of in both worlds. Um, there'll probably be a space down the road where I will only be doing the latter. Um, but that's not now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a great calling. Um, I see it and, um, you've always been for others and, uh, to continue raising up leaders. Um, you've, you've exemplified that. Um, so we're thankful for you, man. Real quick, uh, we've got a couple more questions just about the future. Like, what do the next 15 years look like for the church and church planting uh, in the West, maybe in the world? But first, um, let's let's cleanse the palate real quick. Uh, would you rather <laughs> gosh. breathe underwater or would you rather be able to fly? Hmm. Breathe underwater or be able to fly. I think the initial reaction that I have, and I think a lot of people would have, is well, fly, of course, uh-huh. because like I could see everything, whatever, and a visionary, this kind of deal. But there's so much mystery underwater. Right. Like I look out of our, at our bay here, Chesapeake Bay, and I'm like, man, there's so much there that nobody knows about we know, what is the the quote we know more about space than we do about the yeah, ocean yeah and that intrigues me right so i like i think i like more of the unknown hmm. um okay i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw a wrench in it though because i had the same feeling <laughs> okay i started the same way you can't move like you still move the same way we would move underwater we're just able to be under there as long as we want so it's, if you can fly, I feel like you can get places a lot quicker and it would be a lot more useful and practical from a, from a, you know, yeah, I standpoint. suppose, I suppose. But if I can breathe underwater, I could build a house underwater. 
I can live underwater, mm-hmm. right? So I can like, I can do life underwater, and and go at a slower pace, mm. and do a little bit more exploration. Mm. I'll win a dunk contest. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Do I get to wear you flippers? Could, you could, yeah, yeah, sure. I get to Let's, use the tools. Yeah, use so, the tools. Okay. Use use everything. I like that. Okay, all right. You, hmm. So, would you rather? You're saying definitively, you're going to give up flying. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think so. Okay, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> Living underwater. Yeah, Chris Brooks, our one of the one of the guys here at Coalescence Coffee. Um, he has recently this past year started scuba diving and he mm. showed me some videos Ooh. and the last place they were at in the Bahamas a few weeks ago, man, he was like 65 feet deep and Ooh. there's huge, like eight foot sharks swimming above yes, him. Yes. That's what I'm and, talking about. Right. Yes. Right. So yeah, just not, not tiger pl- sharks, please. Yeah. But, um, Anyways, that's cool. Hmm. All right, all right. I learned something about you. I didn't know. <laughs> I've I didn't always know you had would. An, I've always had an intrigue back in the, those days in Carolina growing up. Honestly, um, I remember one night my dad came in. I was a young kid, and one of my favorite marine biologists that I had read about in these shark books that I had as a kid was speaking in Wilmington at a hotel like conference center. And it was, she started speaking at like 8 PM and I'm like seven years old, you know, my dad's like, do you want to go see it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to go see it. I want to go meet her. And I did. And you know, I got home real late that night, you know, and sat through this boring marine biology lecture wow. at like seven years old. Um, but it was really, it was really cool. So I've always had this intrigue for marine biology and sharks. And uh, my brother was like scared to death, like had nightmares about them. Really? Um, yeah. And I didn't do it on purpose, but I really love <laughs> those things. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather? <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, yep. So, um, I might, uh, I, if I had to put money on it, I would have said you would have picked flying. Really? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. I didn't, I didn't know that you had that much of a passion for the water. That's cool. In the mystery. I share it. Yeah. I share it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so lastly, what resources do you have? Do you, do you, can you think of anything pertaining to your leadership and something that has really helped you accomplish your calling? The Bible. Mm. <laughs> mm. Obviously. What right? passage? All of Acts. All of it. <laughs> All of it. Uh now that um gosh. Yeah, honestly, if this is a problem that I could help fix as well, it would be to help seminaries be better at this the the leadership preparation mm. for ministry. Um do you, is it, is it, do you see that, how much is that a seminary's responsibility versus a church's responsibility? And well, that's that assuming that the church is doing back. it. That's assuming that the church is doing it. I don't well, think it's happening because I think the two are related and the academy gives the church what they produce. And that's, that's usually how it works, right? Like a, a church wants to see most of the time, at least a one that's not being started by a church planter, they want to see that a pastor has seminary experience and all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And they assume that that includes leadership experience, 
um, or organizational leadership experience, especially at a larger church. And that's not necessarily true. Um, And had I not gone and sought out those things by myself, along with what was going on in seminary, I'm not sure I'd be the leader that I am today. Mm. So, um, you know, I've always loved Andy Stanley um, as far as his leadership um, principles, like the the stuff that he has is just gold, and he's a direct disciple of John Maxwell. Um, you know, so these kind of guys that have been entrenched in it a long time, I've I've learned a lot from over the years. Um, uh, their their podcasts, and then you have to adapt for your context. You know, so mm-hmm. I think some some wisdom in that, and knowing what your people are going to, um, you know, appreciate or uh, latch on to, I think is important. So, yeah, so Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. Um, you know, uh, some of the great, like, pastoral leaders, um, um, Andy being one of them, um, Craig Groeschel is another great one. Um, I think uh, I like to learn also from folks of different cultures, mm-hmm. you know, and so I want to learn from a, um, a Derwin Gray and a Eric Mason um, as well. Uh, I want to hear what they have to say about life and leadership. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to think more specifically cause I don't, there's not, for me, there's not any one like silver bullet type of, if you, this book really changed my life when it comes to, to leadership. So I'd have to put some of those up on the podcast page when we get done, but, yeah. um, and I can do that, but I guess those would be kind of the major influences and just, just read, you know, like, just read the book. I have a giant library of leadership books that I could go down the line and name. Um, but they all have shaped me and formed me in some kind of ways. Um, and so when you're in a space where you have time to sit back and read and and not watch TV and, um, and, you know, have the discipline to actually, uh, soak it all in and learn, um, gosh, do it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, especially if, if, if you're in a place in life where you don't have kids, you don't have distractions, like do it now because you will eventually be pulled in a million different directions and not able to, um, at yeah. some point. So, yeah. um, yeah. When did you become a reader? Um, I, the funny thing is I, I actually don't like reading. Like it's not joyful for me to sit down and read a book. Um, it takes, I have to force myself to do it. Mm. Um, it's a lot easier when you're being graded on something <laughs> because I feel like I have to accomplish something um, and I'm, I'm going to be accountable for it. And so therefore I have to do this right and do it well. So seminary time frame was the best for me. Since then, I've not read near as much, but I've, I've read. Um, and I've watched, um, I watched my grandfather, uh, like he would, when I would come over to their house at almost any point in the day, if he wasn't working, he was sitting in his chair reading something. Hmm. Um, and he wasn't the most active guy in the world. And so, uh, he probably did it to a fault, but, um, I just watched him read and then he would almost immediately begin to be able to explain what he was reading. Um, whatever it was, whether it was about trains, which he loved to read about, or theology. When he died, I took on a lot of his library, and he has a, he has a physics book that I have no doubt that he read the entire book of. Hmm. Like, he was just that guy that could just ingest it all and, 
and and teach it almost immediately. It's just just amazing. So I admired him for that. And so when I when I don't feel like reading, I think about that and I'm like, I just need to do it. I need to have the discipline to do it. And so I've got a biography right now that I'm reading on Chief Corn Planter, uh, one of the Seneca Indians uh, from the late 1700s. Um, so I would say I've I've learned to appreciate reading in my need for it. Um, and it becomes something I enjoy eventually. <laughs> nice. Yep. Yep. You have five kids. I do. Four girls, one boy. Mm-hmm. What does the next 15 years look like in the church and in the church planting world or arena in the West? Oh, man. What's so it going to look like when... My oldest, my 15-year-old, will be 30 in 15 years. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's crazy. Yep. Um Older than you, Robbie. Look at that. Wow. Um, man, the next 15 years. I honestly think it gets smaller. Um, and I don't, that doesn't mean less activity. I think that um, more will be the norm of churches that are more neighborhood and community-centric than these kind of large buildings on the corner. Um I, I really think that, uh, well, I mean, one of our goals is to reestablish gospel presence where it's been either lost or waning over the years in different neighborhoods where there are buildings already there and non-taxed because they're a church. And uh, I want to reclaim some of those spaces in our city, and I think that's happening across across our nation. And so I want to see um, those places reclaimed. And I think um, I think if we have the right aim in church planting, that kind of thing can happen. Where the the success of church planting is not having a three to five hundred person church. It's probably having a one hundred person church and having mm. a lot of them. Mm. You know? Um and for me it's also I'm trying to help keep some of those churches, at least in our region, connected to be able to share resources. I'd love to see that happen more often. I'd love to see multiply be multiplied in yeah. other regions. Right. Like to me, by the time I die, if I saw that, it doesn't have to be our brand and everything, but if I saw more multi-church organizations like ours right. functioning across our nation, man, that would be that'd be a dream come true. Are you seeing some of that? I'd say not yet. I'm seeing some interest, yes. I've had people in different regions, the RDU area and in New England, um, asking questions about how we've done these kind of things. Um and it's been really, really cool to just be on the receiving end of those questions. Um, but those two places are difficult because you've got larger churches that are actually trying to downsize themselves mm. um, and go away from a campus model and into a multi-church model. Um, and that's that's way more difficult yeah. than just starting it from the beginning. So know? what's the difference between a multi-church or multi-campus or multi-site and what Multiply is doing? Well, Multiply, I would call, is a multi-church. So multi-church is more about the sharing of resources and people and, and coming together and locking arms as a body of believers that happens to be in different geographical locations. Um, the campus model is more like, you know, you have a central kind of mother church that has these different satellite spaces that may project 
a different preacher on the TV at those satellites or may have a campus pastor, but they are very much subject to what's going on at the mother church. Mm. Um, and we're, we're, we don't operate that way. We, we gladly submit ourselves to one another. Um, and the resources that one has will be shared with another. And, um, yeah, so I, it's more of a family, yeah. <laughs> you know, what we do as a multi-church. Yeah. I and I'd like you. to see that happen more. Amen. I hear you saying codependency, not independence or I'd dependence. Say, yeah, interdependency um, is is probably more what I, the way I would describe it. Um, yep, that's it. Yeah, beautiful. Um, adoption. What part uh, of church adoption uh, does the next fifteen years play for churches and organizations like Multiply? Uh, where does that fit into? We've got the planting, and then we've got uh, church adoptions. What yeah. what is that? What might that look like? I think um, adopting new churches is is sometimes the hardest because a lot of folks are set in their ways, you know, or set in how they want to do things. And if they were, if somebody were to come to us and say, um, "Hey, we would love to be a part of Multiply," well, that's 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 awesome. That's great. That's a great start. Um, but it's really the start of a long conversation because um, what I've learned is, and what we have to get at very quickly is, where do we stand theologically? Because that's eventually it's going to come out where where we differ on things, and um, and there some of them we're usually pretty tight on the main things, but when it comes to um, you know where we stand on biblical eldership or where we stand. On uh, on women in ministry, where we stand, even on um, you know the means of grace and and, and orthodox theology, like um, that stuff is all going to come out at some point. Hmm. Um, so I'd rather have that conversation first. Where where's the theology at? Where's the alignment? Where's the the misalignment? Hmm. Um, so we can see if that's even able to be overcome, and we're able to agree with one another. And then we, we would get to more of the nuts and bolts of it. Like, um, you know, uh, I would not say that a church coming in, you know, we would not say, well, now we want control of your finances, but we definitely want to know what's going on in the finances sure. of the church. And sometimes for people, that's really hard to have open hands about. Mm. Um, I think for you and I, we're like, well, yeah, of course you can know what's going on in our books. That's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but that's not always the case with different churches and that ends up that almost always ends up being the kind of almost stopping point like you guys want to take us over no we don't want to take over we want to help you in order for us to help you that means everywhere mm -hmm. in every aspect mm -hmm. um because we've gotten pretty good at, at what we do um even financially and yeah. and the business end of church and so um we want to help you to be better at that yeah know? it's not just learning how to do it it's that we've actually multiplied it multiple times over right. and and fixed darn as well <laughs> darn near perfected that process shout sure. out to crystal and eric and others yeah. uh, who've who've really carved the path there um so church adoption versus church revitalization uh is it more similar or more different um how do they how do they compare yeah let's hmm Church adoption, to me, is is like a pastor and the elders of the church coming to us and saying, man, we, we want to plant churches, we want to multiply disciples, but we don't really have 
a process or we don't have anything in place really to do that. Um, that kind of like humility, that kind of attitude of like, we, we really want this. Um, we need your help doing it. That is way, it's usually what church adoption is, right? That is way easier than a revitalization. Um, unless the church, the revitalization, uh, the church that needs to be revitalized often doesn't have a pastor in place. They might be looking for to be revitalized, and we're going to have to provide them eventually with a pastor. Um, uh, we've not had it yet where of churches coming to us and saying, we want, we, want to, we want to be revitalized. Can we be a part of Multiply? Uh, we've had some churches come to us and say, we're really struggling. We don't know what to do. And I, I don't give them the Multiply pitch at that point. I just say, well, do you, do you want to um, make disciples? Do you want to plant churches? And usually... They've got no vision for that because they're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, it's, be, it's a much longer process for revitalization. Uh, I went through that at OV. When we went through that, it took years um, to get to where we were, um, about five years to really get to the place where I was able to then come in and kind of work from a, I'm not even sure the foundation was fully dry yet by the time I got hmm. into place in 2012. Yeah. So, um, yeah, revitalization is just really hard, and the person doing the revitaliza- revitalizing, the leader, um, has just got to have a heart for it because it's it's a grind, mm-hmm. and it weighs on you, and it wears you out. Yep, as um, uh, Logan hard. Carson would say, a tough hide and a tender heart. Yeah. For sure. So for you personally, what does the next one to three years look like in um, Multiply, in Times 12, at OV, uh, in Norfolk, in the Hampton Roads area? What do you see the future, the near future, shaping up like? The next one to three years, um, uh, yeah, we, we've we got churches that need to be planted and um, churches that need to be to to churches that need to continue in in good health um mm-hmm. and and I'm here for that uh you know um we got a guy coming out of Little Creek um shout out to Dylan um yeah. we're really excited about getting him planted in the next year or so um so there's a lot of perspective um coming up in the next 1 to 3 years I would say in the next 1 to 3 years I don't think all of our processes for all this stuff, the um, interns, residents, planters, adoptions, like all those things, I would love to see, I'll just say, I'll say done in the next one to three years. And, and what I mean by that is like at a point where somebody comes and asks about residency, I've got a boom, boom, boom. Here's what that means. I want us to talk about planting. Boom, boom, boom. Here's what that means. Internship. Doom, doom, doom. Here's what that means. Adoption. Boom, boom, boom. Here's what that means. I just wanted to be clear across the board so that anybody on the Multiply staff could say, here's what it means for you to be a part of Multiply. Um, again, all those things being reproducible. So, yeah. um, so for me, that's my role and my goal, I guess, over the next one to three years is to try to make that be crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Build the floor. Yeah. Clarify, clarify, clarify. I love it. Well, it's been great chatting and getting to know some more about you. Um, you want to live in a pineapple under the sea. 
Um, you, you, uh, are an older brother. You have five kids. Um, and uh, we got to hear a little bit about your wife and how your relationship started. What brought you to Ocean View? What brought you to the Hampton Roads area? What God has done in your life to get you to where you're at, uh, to be a leader of leaders and someone who feels called to lead others, uh, that will be equipped to know themselves, to lead themselves so that they can lead other people in the community. Uh, you don't want to just see leaders uh, thrive. You want to see whole churches and communities thrive. And I can see that in your heart, man. Um, I can I can read it in your words as, as you do very well to sit at your computer, even though it drains you, and to get this vision and this calling from the Lord out and, um, and just continue to get it in front of our people. Uh, and that's one thing. Uh, one, one huge reason why we started this podcast is, uh, mainly because Aaron's like, we need to get this out. We need to get this out. We need to get this out. So, um, that's, that's one of our prime primary roles of multiply to equip our family and churches with the resources that we need to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just want to point people to our resource page, um, multiplythechurch.com slash resources. Um, there's so much on there. You know, I just talked about my desire, my, uh, my, my real hope is that people will have what they need in order to make disciples and, and multiply disciples, leaders in new churches. Um, that that's just the big, uh, the big win in my book, you know? And so, um, so go to the resource page, tool around there, see what would be useful to you as a disciple, just as a follower of Christ, Go to the disciple toolbox and um, and fish around there and see where you're at on that pathway and um, and just just do it, man. Get into that. Get into a core group with somebody and mm-hmm. um, you know triads or quads, whatever you want to call it, and just just get down and dirty with people and start mm-hmm. um, showing people how you're following Jesus. That that is the um, that is the that is the call for us uh, as followers of Christ. And so I just want to push people there, man. That's Amen. A, it's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. So a segment that we love that we haven't done in a minute because we haven't done a podcast in a minute yeah. is what are you listening to? What am I listening to? Um, so I'm still in that, like, um, I don't, don't want to call it outlaw country, but my kids have gotten on to country a little bit more, and mm. so I'm actually listening to country a little bit more. Mm. Um, I'm not sure I ever thought that that would be the case uh, again. Because I loved my '90s country, um, and and I was done with it after that. Uh, <laughs> but now I I just love um, like Morgan Wallen and um, uh, Zach Bryan, not Luke Bryan, Zach Bryan. Okay. Um, you know, a couple of those guys. I'm always Chris Stapleton. Like he's he's always going to be my fave, but um, he's amazing. Um, yeah, so that's that would be primary, and then um, you know I always love my my mine and my wife's. 90s playlist that, that we like to play. Um, hers is usually filled with En Vogue and 90s R&B, and mine is usually like Pearl Jam and yep. you know alt rock kind of stuff. But yeah, love it. That's me. How about you? Love it. Okay. What are you listening to? So um, I I just got um, wind of this guy. Um, it's Embleton. Uh, you can search him on Spotify. Other other things. On time, a collection volume one. Uh, good stuff. Is a friend of a friend. Excited to hear more from him. Uh, and, and really, that just means going through more of the stuff that he's already put out. But uh, on the other side of that, Red Hot Chili Peppers just released a new album. I got to listen through half of it this morning. 
and it is fantastic. It's a callback to real music and and uh, just good rock. Some just the vibes, the feels, the drums, the bass lines, the guitars, uh, the lyrics. Like it's true art, and and I love art. Artists always get it culture first, and yeah. so I don't have to agree necessarily with all the content that yeah. is being sung, except that it is it is uh, also just um, a cultural. Um, almost like a, a, a present um, lesson on what's happening in the world today. And it's, they do a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, it's hard for me to get into bands that have been doing it a long time and then they release no, no, something. No. It's really hard, it. but I'm going to so try. Do it. Okay. No, you're not even going to have to try. Okay. You're going to put it on. You're just going to be like, oh, yes. breath of fresh air. Yeah, right, this good. is what music used to be. And they did it, and they hit it on the head, at least with the first six or so songs. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I've never, I've never been a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan either. I yeah. like their stuff. It was all really popular growing up, you know. But now it's, I'm like, okay, wow. And I might be going back after I listen to the second half of the album and have to come back next week and be like, my yeah. bad. <laughs> so, but you know, there it is. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, Cancel folks, me. don't forget about our Behind Open Doors Spotify playlist. It's been in, in uh, a great selection of music and podcasts that we're listening to. So go to the podcast page at multiplythechurch.com slash podcast, and you'll see the links there. And you can also try to search Bod Pod Mix. Uh, but for now, it's time to close down the podcast. I want you to remember, though, the doors are wide open here with the Multiply family. It was really fun getting to do this first interview with you and just figuring it out and uh, getting to hear some stuff that, that I've never heard before. And I'm sure our people will be blessed by it, man. I appreciate you. I look forward to the rest of the season. Um, so if you have found this podcast helpful, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Smash the like button. I don't know. I've just heard that people say that. Um, and then uh, it, it, leave a review, star it, whatever you're supposed to do. It helps us to be seen by other folks that, hey, hopefully we can be a little bit of, uh, of a help to them too. So you can also join our Facebook page where we have further discussions about each episode. And finally... You can share this episode and others to your social media pages. You have been listening to the Behind Open Doors podcast, where we take you behind the scenes discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. Let the word dwell richly in you, and may God multiply your efforts for the kingdom. <laughs>